If you've got a thirst for knowledge that never quits, Brightside Podcasts are just what you need. Whether you're into recent discoveries, space exploration, true stories, or useful tips for self improvement, psychology, gadgets, or just your day to day routine, there's something for everyone. When Marine 2nd Lieutenant Walter Osipov was boarding a DC 2 plane at about 9 30 a.m. on May 15, 1941, he didn't know yet that the flight would almost become his last. Shortly after the takeoff, an accident that no one could have predicted left the man dangling high in the air, tangled in his parachute, and hanging from the aircraft's tail in mid-flight. It was another regular Sunday morning in California, and everything was calm at the North Island Naval Base. There were no warning signs to the drama that was about to unfold in just a couple of hours. Walter Osipov was getting ready for a routine parachute jump. That day, an Ohio-born lieutenant was the jump master for a group of 12 chutists. Plus, he was supposed to parachute overboard three canvas cylinders full of different ammunition. At a set time, the plane took off and headed toward Kearney Mesa, San Diego. Most of his men had already jumped out of the aircraft when Osipov decided it was time to send the cargo packs through the hatch. He pulled out the first 150-pound container and was about to send the second pack flying when the unthinkable happened. His parachute's ripcord got tangled with the automatic release cord of the cargo cylinder. And the next thing he knew, his parachute was deploying inside the plane. Horrified, the man was trying to grab the billowing silk, but it slipped through his fingers like water, yanking Osipov out of the plane. The weight of the man, combined with the weight of the cargo container and the pull from the open parachute, ripped a massive 2.5-foot gash in the aluminum fuselage of the plane. But that wasn't the end of the story. With one of the leg straps and the chest strap broken, Osipov's parachute got wrapped around the DC-2's tail wheel. The only leg strap that was still intact slipped down to the lieutenant's ankle, and the man, hung by his feet and caught in a tangle of cable, silk, and harness, was dangling about 15 feet behind the plane. All but four lines connecting Osipov's harness and the parachute snapped one by one. Luckily, the seasoned parachutist knew well enough not to release the emergency chute. Otherwise, with this parachute pulling him back and the airplane moving forward, he could be torn in half. Osipov was conscious and aware both of the dire situation he was in and of the fact that he was hurting all over. But at that time, he didn't know yet that two of his ribs, as well as three vertebrae, had been fractured. A cargo hatch handle had cut his left shoulder and arm, and he was badly bruised all over. The only thing the man could think of was to keep his eyes tightly squeezed and his arms and legs crossed against the violent wind. The first person who figured out that something had gone wrong, besides Walter Asipov, of course, was the plane's pilot, Captain Harold Johnson. The control wheel hit him in the stomach hard, and immediately after that, the man realized the plane's nose tilted up precariously. The tail felt so heavy that the pilot had to struggle to guide the nose back down. With growing dread, he realized that a person was hanging from the plane's tail. Unfortunately, there was no radio on board, and Johnson couldn't call for help. That's why the pilot decided to risk a daring maneuver. Having lowered the plane as much as he could, Johnson started a circle over Camp Kearney, Camp Elliott, and then over the Naval Air Station in the harbor of North Island. 
His speed was just 110 miles per hour, and it was the slowest he could manage. Unfortunately, such speed made the plane spend much more fuel than normal, and this problem had to be solved immediately. Inside the plane, the rest of the crew were struggling to find a way to pull Osipov back to safety, but all their attempts failed since they couldn't reach the man. On top of that, they were risking slipping out of the plane themselves because nobody had a parachute on. Meanwhile, the plane had already lowered to an altitude of just a few hundred feet, and the pilot could see people standing on the ground, their faces upturned and shocked. But there was no way they could help, and if Johnson tried to land the plane, it would undoubtedly end Osipov's life. But just when it seemed there was no hope for a happy ending, Lieutenant Bill Lowry looked up at the sky. The 34-year-old Navy test pilot had just finished his observation flight and was strolling toward his office, together with John McCants, a 41-year-old aviation chief machinist mate. Almost immediately, the two men realized what was going on, and Lowry phoned the control tower with the request to approve his rescue plan. After that, the lieutenant ordered the mechanic to prepare the plane, a two-seat open cockpit SOC-1 for takeoff. Before, Lowry and McCants had never flown together, but both were ready to try the impossible. As the men were climbing into the plane, several marines sprinted toward them, holding out knives to cut Osipov's shroud lines loose. As the plane carrying the two Navy men roared to life and took off, all the activity on the base, as well as in San Diego itself, seemed to freeze. People crowded on roofs, children gathered on the streets, all eyes were fixed on the planes. By that time, the crew on board the DC-2 had already managed to pull Osipov back in a bit, but this process was nowhere near completion. Lowry and McCants were flying at an altitude of 300 feet, right under the dangling parachutist, but the air was too bumpy to attempt an approach. With the help of hand signals, Lowry explained to Johnson that they had to head toward the Pacific where the air was smoother. Also, the planes climbed to a much higher altitude of 3,000 feet. Johnson was holding a straight course and flying at the speed of 100 miles per hour, similar to that of the smaller plane. The most alarming thing was that Johnson had enough fuel for only 10 more minutes at the most. Osipov was in pretty bad shape as well, and blood was already dripping from his helmet. It meant that Lowry and McCann's had to act fast and precisely. So, McCants stood up in the rear cockpit, and Lowry lined up the left wing of the biplane right under the parachutist's body. He had to be extremely careful to keep the propeller away from Osipov's head. After several agonizing seconds, McCants managed to grab the dangling man by his waist and felt Osipov fling his arms around the mechanic in a panic grip. But now the men were facing another problem. The plane was too small for three grown-ups. That's why McCants had to stretch the parachutist's body across the top of the fuselage. Even though Lowry was doing his best to keep the plane in the necessary position, they were desperately running out of time. McCants was trying to cut the shroud lines, but it was taking more time than the men had expected. And then, suddenly, a grinding screech filled the air. The propeller of the SOC-1 sliced about 12 inches off the bigger plane's tail. Miraculously, both planes were still flying, and Osipov was still lying horizontally on the top of the fuselage. 
Besides, during the collision, the biplane's propeller cut through the shroud lines, and the planes were free to land. But while Johnson landed his aircraft safely and without any problems, Lowry wasn't so lucky. A part of the parachute got stuck in the plane's rudder, and the pilot couldn't control the direction of the descent. Grasping each other in the rear seat, McCants and Ossipoff could only hope that Lowry's skills would help them stay alive. And indeed, the pilot managed to land the plane, and in mere seconds, it was surrounded by cheering people. Ossipoff, who was taken to the hospital after enduring his nightmarish 33-minute flight, made a complete recovery. After his release six months later, he returned to parachute jumping and got promoted to first lieutenant. As for Lowry and McCants, both men got the Distinguished Flying Cross for extraordinary heroism.